a documentary that takes the standard rock bio format and gives it a good shake, sticking to a linear timeline, but broadening the context far beyond what could be discussed during the life of the late, great Richard Pennyman. That's my man Tyber of Tyber's Watchlist. Cody knows his, uh, he knows my wheelhouse. We're talking about Little Richard, I Am Everything, a new documentary currently in theaters and streaming, and it's fantastic. Can't wait to talk about that. Al Pacino turned 83 last week, April 25th, so I brought in pizza for the crew. It was a great day. I, I had to give a slice at you. you got to tell me your favorite Pacino movie. So, like, first guy comes up, I go, he goes, Godfather. I'm like, right, correct answer is a slice. Cheese or pep? Okay, no problem. Next one, Godfather, yep. Next guy, Scarface. I'm like, sure. Uh, next guy, Heat. I'm like, yep. Next guy, Insider. Then this guy goes, he goes, Jack and Jill. I go, wait. He goes, come on. I go, listen, I'll be honest with you. Considering the fact it's an Adam Sandler comedy and the fact that Pacino is so dedicated to the role, you're getting a slice. I, 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 if he had said two for the money, Matthew McConaughey would say, no, that's not a good movie. Al, it's not good. It. But, but Jack and Jill, if you haven't seen it, look up the scene. Just look up Al Pacino's cell phone. Adam Sandler is watching. He goes, oh, my God, Al Pacino's having a meltdown. And Pacino goes nuts while doing his stage play. It's very funny. And the Dunkachino commercial is great. I'm not going to say I'm not going to lie to you, Cody, and tell you it's a good movie. It's not a good movie. But at the very least, the very least, Pacino is willing to be in an Adam Sandler comedy, clearly took the check, and the Dunkachino commercial is really funny. Can I just back up for a second? You buying pizza, is that yeah. just something you happen to do on his birthday? Or because it's Al Pacino's birthday, you thought... This needs to be celebrated. I got to buy pizza for everybody. New show, me and Harold. I said, you know what? We're one month in. I should probably get something. So one month would have been last Friday. But I said, let me make it, put a little wrinkle on it. We'll do it for Pacino's birthday. In answer to your question, I, I normally wouldn't have just bought pizza for Al Pacino. But I'm like, you know what? We'll make it a two for one. What'd you drop? A little 60 bucks? A little 70? Uh, $82. Four pizzas. Okay. It's a dangerous game when you buy pizza for a group because it can go quick. Like you, think well, four pie, party, yeah. you think four pies is enough and all of a sudden it is gone quick. And all of a sudden you have like two slices of the veggie you got and no one else even wants it. And people are eating veggie pizza even though they'd rather have cheese. Okay, it's like you you could see a camera into it. This is exactly what happened. Because I made sure, I said, this is our crew, right? Our producer, director, producer, you know, the, it's our show unit. And then go show me where everybody else is, the production assistants, the editors, etc. But you're right. If I just said, hey, MLB Network, I got pizza today. Like, everyone's diving in, yeah. right? Brian Kenny's crew, Greg <laughs> Amsinger's crew, Matt Fasker's. I'm like, no, no, that, that, this is for our show unit. And exactly what you said, I got two cheese, one pep, and then one veggie because I like the grilled chicken green peppers, onions, and mushrooms, which I know is a loss for everybody else. And sure enough, the guys that came last, I'm like, uh, we got the grilled chicken. Yeah. Veggie. <laughs> now listen, they took it, but to your point, it's no surprise it was the last pizza taken. It's nobody, only your nobody. first choice. I was about to say it's nobody's first choice, but apparently it's yours. You yeah. prefer, wait a minute, you prefer a veggie pizza to a piece of pepperoni or a no, piece of... No. Okay. Uh, let me clarify. So cheese is probably my favorite. If I just had a cheese pizza, I'm going to go that all the way. If you said to me, hey, Adnan, there's this place in South Florida. I'm like, I'm just going to get a cheese slice. Like, Ferk, that's the way to go. But I honestly, if my preferred pizza, grilled chicken, green peppers, onions, mushrooms. Grilled chicken? That's an odd I love one. the chicken pizza. Yeah, I know. Okay. It's not, it's not going to be one that's in the home for most people. Like, it doesn't sound you know, bad. I'm the guy in the room, right? They're going, pep, cheese, meat lovers, you know. Whatever supreme, and I'm like, can we get grilled chicken? Like, huh? it, it doesn't sound bad. It's just not a first choice. No, it's not a first choice. Cheese yeah. is always the way to go. Anyways, because it's Pacino's birthday, 50th anniversary of Serpico. I, the best presents are the unexpected ones. My brother just sent me a, a package in the mail. I'm like, what is this? I open up, like, oh my god, 50th anniversary of Serpico, 4K. I'm like, oh my god, I, I cannot wait. There's so much sports going on right now. You, you can't have any time. But I, I said I got to make time to watch Serpico again, which I haven't watched in 20 years. So 50th anniversary, we're reviewing it today, and our special guest, Lindsay Barra. 
granddaughter of the great Yogi Berra, It Ain't Over, new documentary, which will be in New York City and Los Angeles May 12th, and then rolling out everywhere. So hopefully it gets to South Florida, and Cody and all his peeps will see it. A lot of Yankee fans, of course, they're in Florida. Your wife's a Yankee fan. I know mm-hmm. family. Your uh, wife's uncle is the one who made Ray Romano a Yankee fan. So, well, no, my uh, wife's father, who's... Wife's father. Yeah, 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 It's Ray's uncle. That's right. There you go. Made him Ray's uh, Yankee cousin. Fan, so. you'll, find, you'll get it. It's fine. <laughs> Complicated. So your wife's, so your father-in-law, his cousin, easy. Yeah. Um, it ain't over. It's available uh, right now. Like I said, in theaters May twelfth. Just had her on MLB Network yesterday. She was great. Lindsay's awesome. So you're going to really enjoy that interview with her talking about Yogi. And uh, as Chris said to me off air, it's kind of like uh, there's like a Graceland for Yogi in Montclair, New Jersey, thirty minutes from my house. Or they, like they have the whole compound. She told me, listen, you text me anytime. You come, come take a look. It's like going to Graceland. Let's dive in, though. I, before we get going to, I do want to talk a little sports. Congrats to the Panthers. I mean, just an epic win. Holy I'm so crap. happy for you guys. I mean, yeah. listen, there's nothing better than, I, I saw you guys tweet earlier, what's better, Boston tears or New York tears? I have lived in central Connecticut. When I worked at ESPN, I lived right, they call it the demarcation point with Boston, New York, but I felt like it was a lot more Boston than New York. Like, if I just went door-to-door in West Hartford, I felt like two to three was a Red Sox fan, then one was a Yankee fan, then an occasional Mets fan, et cetera. So, to our point, Boston has the greatest regular season ever in hockey history, 135 points, and then your Panthers come up, down 3-1, oh. da- down in the game 3-2. I'm texting you and Roy, but the power play goals, of this is ridiculous. The Boston doesn't have the power play. They're not winning this game. They're up 3-2. It's probably done. And to get a goal with 59 seconds left oh. in overtime. You, we, were, we normally tape this Mondays, and you texted me Monday morning. goes, hey, I'm really busy. Can we just do this tomorrow? And my brother actually texted me. He goes, hey, Cody must be going nuts. I go, to be honest with you, I think he's hungover. Because we normally tape Mondays, and he just said to me, I'm really busy today. I go, okay, Chris, you don't, you don't have to explain yourself to me. Just be like, I, I got after it. Me and Roy went, went crazy. We were so yeah, fine. I wish that was drunk. The, I wish yeah. that was the case. I, you know, it was a Sunday night. I was home alone. Like normally, if it's a weekend, I would be out getting after it during that game. But it was Sunday <laughs> night, so I was just at home. My wife's asleep. Like I was just like quiet yeah. cheering for that Panthers game. No alcohol at all. Actually, it was just Monday. Was just wild for me. Yeah. But uh, dude, it it's one of those weird ones where everyone in the league doesn't want the Panthers. Like everyone was hoping. Like this great story with the Bruins, best record ever. Like. It's one of those ones where everyone in the Panthers fans are happy, but I feel like the rest of the league is like upset that the Panthers did this. I'm sure, because listen, if you look at the TV markets, what's going to be better? All respect to South Florida. Right. Of course, Boston, original six market, huge hockey town. The Rangers are now out. Go Devils, love seeing that as well. So like, they, like one of Carolina, Toronto, which is great in Canada, but of course Toronto is not going to rate as much in America. Like, no, like this, These are not what they want to see. You're right. Nobody wants to see the Panthers in the final, but I'm hoping the yeah. Panthers can knock out the Leafs. It'd be incredible. I hope oh. the ride continues. You really oh, get I thought you were rooting for Toronto, maybe. No way. It's a common misperception, right? Naturally, I was born in Toronto. I grew up in Kingston a few hours away. But as I've told people, my brother was a huge Oilers fan as kids. 85, 87, they played the Flyers. So naturally being brothers, I cheered against him. Still adore Ron Hextall to this day. If I met Ron Hextall, like, I'd be like meeting Monica Bellucci. I, would be just, <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know what to say. I'm like, oh my gosh, Ron Hextall. Like, I might just faint. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. And in fact, I have a few friends. We're, we're all Leaf haters. So like, I, of course, I have close friends who are gigantic Leaf fans. And then there's a few of us group texting like, oh my, like we can't, this can't happen. Like the Panthers better win. Like we don't yeah. want Leafs conference finals. And then God forbid Leafs Stanley Cup final. And then God forbid they win. Because this is a big thing as a kid. Leafs haven't won since 67. Flyers haven't won since 75. But I've seen the Flyers in the Stanley Cup final. That's, this is where my adoration for the team was born in 87. I saw them in 97 in the Stanley Cup final get swept against the Red Wings. I saw them in 2010 lose against the Blackhawks in six. The Leafs fans had never seen their team in the Cup final. So whenever people go, oh my God, you're from Toronto, you, you chose the Flyers. I'm like, yeah, I've made the better choice. Philly, Philly hasn't won a cup, but now there's Toronto. And my team's been in the cup final three times. But if yeah. Toronto wins, the egg is on my face that it was Oof. a bad choice. Like Biz said on the TNT set, 
Love Biz. Rather yeah. put your cock and balls in a blender than face the Panthers in the playoffs. Jesus. I love Biz. Biz nasty. The best thing about him, no tie. Like, uh, I hate ties. Harold said to me, like, maybe show three. Because if you don't wear a tie, you don't have to. I'm like, really? That's it. I haven't worn a tie since then. He still likes to wear a tie. And I, I love when I watch the TNT guys. Colby Armstrong tie. Ansa Cartley McHugh. Bissonette, no tie. Like me. He goes like two buttons down. Little he, Chester. He's, maybe going, for like, before, he's yeah. going for the Barkley role. He's like, we're doing TNT. We're the hockey. Yeah. Like, I'm going to just be the guy that'll say anything. He's always saying yes. like the thing that it's like, should they dump that? Like, he's always like saying <laughs> stuff that's a little risque. I like it. I like him a lot too. Paul Bissonette, very good on the team. I shout out to my friend Jackie Redmond, by the way. She was Saturday, she did your Panthers game. Then she did the Bruins game seven Sunday. And then Monday, she's for NHL Network in Newark at the Prudential Center for game seven. I mean, people are getting worked right now. So uh, yeah. not that she listens to the podcast or that she cares, <laughs> but I'm giving her a shout out anyways. What the hell? Being a good teammate. Already mentioned Harold. Um, let's get to some movies here. Before we do, actually, I want to mention one other thing about shopping. Do you like going shopping? Because I don't. No. So I, I don't mind like a Sunday morning like grocery store run. That that's, that's I find that a little relaxing, but I hate going to like the mall and like clothes shopping. Thousand percent. So I picked the opportunity yesterday at like eleven a.m. because that will not be busy. Obviously the kids are at school. I just need to get some underwear. Simple as that. Ah. So I go to Macy's and I'm like, I see a five pack polo, sixty five dollars. I'm like, whatever inflation. I'm thirteen dollars for underwear. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thirteen dollars for a pair of underwear, but. 30% off. I go, okay, that's in the 45, the nine one. bucks in underwear. I'm like, whatever, sure. I'm taking all black boxer briefs. We're good to go. All Thank black, you. nice. Yeah, I go, my wife sometimes gets different. I go, I don't want different colors. I want all ones. I like the black. colors. I like the red, you you like the, the blue. <laughs> yeah. Come on, what am I wearing <laughs> red right underwear. now? They do, they do have all the different options. I go, I'm going blue right now. I got blue on right now. Blue underwear. I have that visual you for you. You want to see it? No, no, I don't want to see your underwear. Okay. So then... I said, I've, and they always you. get me with this. What they get me with okay. this is, I'm going to ignore you. What they get me with this is the 30% off. Like, it's, it's like the son of immigrants within me. I go, oh, man, it's 30% off. So then there's a pair of shoes. The other day, my wife saw my brown dress shoes. Those are pretty beat up. I'm like, oh, I've had them for like six years. She goes, yeah, they're beat up. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do the cool look, that dress sneaker look, right? And I'm like, sometimes I do like someone just wearing a pair of dress shoes, but Biz Nasty probably wears the dress sneakers. Some guys oh, yeah. can pull it off. Berducci looks great. Harold does it well. I'm like, all right, I'm getting the brown dress sneakers. Normally 110 bucks, <laughs> 35% off, $66. I go, I can't say no to that. Then I see a couple of dress shirts, huh, 35% off. I'm like, well, let me just try a couple of these on. And the woman says, she knows what she's doing. It's just exactly what's happening. This guy hates shopping. So when he comes, he's just going to hoard shop. And she goes, that looks really good on you. I'm like, really? I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of short and fat. She goes, no, but that's why. She, by the way, she doesn't disagree. She <laughs> that's goes, why. But that's, she goes, that's why that fits you. Because she goes, it's, it's a large, but it's a slim fit. If you wear a large regular fit, you're going to be swimming in it. If you wear a medium, it's too tight. If you wear a large slim fit, it actually looks good to your body. Like it, it contours you. I go, Whatever your advice is, I'm doing it. Two shirts, 35% off. We're going. Now we're up to 120. So as I'm about to leave, I said, okay, I got to get something for my wife. This is ridiculous. I'm buying all this stuff. So I get her hoop earrings. Again, how about this deal? 200 bucks, sterling silver, 65% off. I go, I can't say no to this. 70 bucks for a pair of earrings. Done. I get her you earrings. You are such a sucker. Now, the last thing as I'm leaving, I go, I do need some new cologne. Every time I work with Harold, he smells awesome. Like, he walks in, I go, God, he smells good. Carlos Pena smells great. Cliff yeah, Floyd smells great. Like, like those ball players, man, those guys know how to dress, how to smell good. I go, I'm getting Carlos good Pena in particular looks like he smells fantastic. Okay, he smells good. Every time he looks like, God, he smells good. So I go in there, and I talk to the, the woman. I go, I want makeup. And I go, excuse me, I don't want makeup. I want cologne that is strong. She's really like, I want to be able to walk through him and someone goes, that's some good cologne. I've never done that. I've never that. Go, that's overpowering. I, go, no, I want to be that guy. And they go, wow, it smells good. Maybe it'll annoy some people. I go, God, not for the cologne. But I go, I want to be that guy. She goes, all right. 
don't know what it was. It, it, this would like burn the hairs off of your nose. I was like, oh my God. I go, that, that's too strong. She goes, this is very popular. I go, I can't do it. Just get me the Dolce & Gabbana regular. I had that for years. My wife likes it. She goes, well, and then I look up, this is what a sucker I am. It's all about celebrities, right? So I see Robert Pattinson, who I think is really handsome. And I go, hey, what's that one? What's Robert Pattinson doing? Oh, he's uh, advertising for whatever the hell it was. Nautica. It wasn't Nautica. And I go, I want to try that one. I like Robert. His hair is awesome. I, so I now like you're Robert spraying Pattinson. all these different ones. So you have like yeah, seven I, different on you at you, one time. You nailed it. Because she goes, she's just spraying me. So now I've got like, I don't even know what I'm smelling anymore. I've got those seven, little like got, flabs of paper. You're like spraying yes, those and smelling yes, them. Yes, exactly. Again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They have, I have six slabs of paper. Dolce & Gabbana. I've got whatever the hell Robert Pattinson is endorsing. He probably doesn't <laughs> wear. He's just endorsing it. Whatever the strong one was. And then I see Johnny Depp. I go, I love Johnny Depp. I go, what's Johnny Depp endorsing? She goes, Sauvage by Dior. I try yeah. to go, oh, my, that's the winner. She goes, that's it. I go, that's it. I go, I know maybe some women don't like Johnny Depp. The whole Amber thing. I said, but I'm doing it. I go, she goes, you're sure? She goes, you have like seven different tags right now. You're just swimming in cologne. I go, no, Johnny Depp, Sauvage Dior. How much do you think a bottle of cologne costs? I mean, I, like I just, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm going to play the game your way. I'm going to guess low so you can seem really high. I'm going to say it was $162. $135. Oh, damn. I went too high. Wow. Okay. That's not... That, I was actually thinking, because like I think you can go... That's even, reasonable? Like, okay. I, think, I think on a high-end cologne, that's reasonable. Like, I do if think we're that, playing like, prices right, and they go, how much is it for a bottle of cologne? I would have said $85. Oh, right. Maybe like, $75. That, but that, that's why... But like when you said Dior and stuff, like I thought yeah. it was... It sounded... Foofy. So it's like, mm. if you're just saying a crappy cologne, I'm thinking it costs like <laughs> 60, 50 bucks. But once An you start getting into cologne. like the ones where celebrities are endorsing, I'm thinking it's yeah. definitely over 100. I can't believe you thought it was 162. I would have cried. I mean, 135, I couldn't flinch at that book because I'm like, Savage Dior. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm done. She goes, I, 135. I go, is there a discount on that? Everything else seems to be discount on this store. She goes, uh, there's a 15% discount. We can get it to the 123. I go, I'll take the 123. Done. The reason that I have some knowledge on this is I remember when Jason Taylor would come into the old studios, Mike would always be obsessed with the cologne he's wearing, and he finally found out, and it was like some $500 cologne or something. Wow. So I thought that was like the high end. So I'm like, oh, this is a retail store. So it's probably a little lower. So I was just like, yeah. I, I, but one th I feel like you honestly got a, not that bad of a deal, honestly. Okay. I feel bad. I, honestly, right now I'm smelling myself. I smell pretty good. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's pungent. Like you have to come close to me to smell. Like I'm not going to be like Carlos Pena walking in. Oh, that smells great. But if you look like you smell you, good. You look like you smell you, good. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. By the way, you gave me what might be one of the greatest compliments of my life last week. I didn't even realize it. Somebody else texted me. They go, hey, that was a nice compliment. Like Cody got, what would he say? He goes, he said at one point, as you were slobbering over Monica Blue, she goes, I think you'd have a chance with her. I go, he didn't say that. He's like, he did. He goes, go back and listen to it. I go, I'm not being sarcastic, but he goes, I think you might have a chance with her. I go, I'm a short, fat guy with a receding hairline living in North Jersey. And Cody goes, and he goes, I think in the context of what you were saying, she's with Tim Burton. I think Cody was like, dude, I think you'd have a chance with her. Yeah, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, yeah. you meant like this all this shopping talk. I did see you post on your Instagram story a random pair of shoes. Like, hey, new shoes. The, that was the that was the shoes that I bought. Showing new month, the brand, new little Calvin Klein, a little flex yeah. on the people. It was a little odd. Yeah. Like I was I was, was I, yeah. I didn't see a tag of Calvin Klein. I don't know if you were going to be like a influencer. Yeah. Like what was the point of that post? Like no, you were just you're, like, you're absolutely right. It was very unusual for me. Because what happened is my wife said she goes, you gotta post more. And I go, but sometimes I have nothing to post. I'm posting stuff from the job. She goes, just post random things. People are just interested in your life. Trust me. So yeah. if that was the hundred and ten dollar pair of shoes that I bought for sixty six bucks, I go, I'm 
I should take a picture of the shoes. New month, new kicks. I love Ridiculous. your wife doing PR for you. Like, yeah, you know, she goes, you've got it. Trust me. She goes, I know it's obnoxious. Yeah. It's annoying, but you've got to do it. I go, no, I don't have to do it. She's like, what do you mean? I go, I know plenty of people that don't do social media that are very successful. And she's like, no, I'm telling you. It's part of the game. I go, all right, fine. You noticed it. I'm not even an influence. I didn't even, I didn't even tag Calvin Klein. I should have tagged Calvin Klein. I love your work. Then I could have got a deal on this stuff. Anyways, <laughs> Monica Bellucci, though. I mean, Tim Burton. Those, I mean, I've been sending that picture to everybody. People are like, that is, that is incredible. i got to go back and see some of her stuff. We're going we're gonna to do some old movies, all Monica Bellucci next month. I don't care. I'm going to go back and watch them. I've never seen The Passion, Mel Gibson. I, I, the Matrix sequels, going to watch those again. going to get her Monica Bellucci on. I, at, least, uh, at least you'd appreciate The Sauvage by Dior. There was something else I was going to say. Oh, on the topic of clones. One more time. One more for you. I knew a <laughs> I knew a guy at ESPN. You won't know him. He's buying the air. But he, he loved the way this girl smelled. So he was like, hey, what, what uh, perfume do you have? She tells him. And he bought it for his wife. And I, I said to him, I go, that is so dicey. He goes, why? And I go, because essentially that feels like when you're with your wife now, you're thinking of the other girl. I guess, no, that's not what it is. He goes, she smelled good. I go, mm. She's an attractive younger girl, and you bought that perfume. So now when you're with a wife, I go, I'm just telling you this. If your wife found out that that girl wore the perfume and that you bought it because she smells good, that's an issue. See, I go the other way with that. I think, like, I would just <laughs> never tell my wife that I would just be like, I was out somewhere and this smell, and I just thought it'd be work for you. The awkward thing is, like, if the other lady finds out, like, you, you give off the impression that you've been smelling this late. Like, you know, you give off the impression that, like, when this lady walks by, you're like... Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the vibes it gives off. It's like, I, I don't know what any of the women I work with smell like. So it's like odd to like be like, ooh, you smell great. It's like, how are you smelling right now? Why are you If you told me? Smetty, you go, hey, Jess, what, what, what kind of perfume is that? It smells great. She tells you, then you bought that for Christy. And then you told Christy, oh, yeah, Jess, where's that? I think it's going to go well. I think she'd be right. like, what do like, you mean? I get it. Like, the, the, the awkward of, you smell great. Just like, I would be jarred by that <laughs> if someone like at work said that to me. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Carlos Pena smells great. I tell him every time he, does, he doesn't take a burst. I'm like, don't you just smell great? He's like, no, that's what I mean. Like, I think that's one of those things where it, it's safe. It's a safe play when it's the same sex. Like, you yes. know what I mean? Like, I can tell a guy he smells good, but if I tell a woman, I feel like a little more uncomfortable about that. Even though, like, they're all okay. I think it's fine to tell a coworker sure. that she smells good, but it's just like I wouldn't. <laughs> I hear you. Last yeah. thought: What kind of cologne do you think Levitard or Stugatz wears? Like, do those guys smell good? I'm sure Dan at some point just like told his wife, "Hey, buy that." expensive Jason Taylor cologne. I want to try that out. So I'm sure he takes that one for a walk now. Um, yeah. Stugatz's uh, cologne is cigarettes. So. <laughs> it smells like cigarettes and weed. Anytime he walks in the room, it's just like, ah, there's Stugatz. You can smell it. <laughs> it smells like cigarettes. Oh, it's perfect. It really is like a terrible smell, too. It's always just like, up oh, there he is. But he doesn't smoke cigarettes, I thought. He just smokes weed. Dude. Heaters. Stu, I thought Stu quit. No, I thought no. I thought when he meant heaters, he meant weed. No, like every he, hour he's going out and he's taking a little. That's break. pretty. You know what? I actually respect that because your dad one time did a great back in my day where he ripped people that vape. Yeah, he's like doing it. Was one of the funniest things I've heard your dad do. He was like, "Go back, suck it in, get it in your lungs." He's like, "This vape, like that smells like blueberries. What is that crap?" I about? love so when I, my dad just longs for like something that was worse. <laughs> like now people are trying to vape to like you know it's not as unhealthy and it's like yeah. my dad's like, "No, go back to the unhealthy stuff." Yeah, I like how your dad does it. Yeah. I love the back of my day. Go look it up. All right, let's do a little movie talk, shall we? Little Richard, I Am Everything. Fantastic documentary. If you like a little behind the scenes, we were going to have the director on, Lisa Cortez, who did a fabulous job with the doc. Unfortunately, they bumped us because they had some TV work, and then you and I were like, it's okay. We got a lot of the guests. No problem. I'm still going to give the doc a terrific review because it is excellent. It's available, as I said, in theaters right now, also available on streaming. I don't know a lot about Little Richard coming in. My man Ty Burr, which is the blurb that you gave me, thankfully, had raved about it at the Sundance Film Festival, which is always close to Ben Lyons' heart. They always 
great documentary. He's like, all right, I don't know much about Little Richard. Let's, let's give it a shot. And I thought it was an excellent doc. Here's what I learned about it. He set the template for modern rock and roll. Um, at one point, Pullman said, it, you know, Elvis gets way too much credit. Little Richard was more of a rock and roll guy than Elvis. He was an emancipator. He was an architect. You got Mick Jagger talking to him, Tom Jones. But he's also a fascinating guy as a documentary portrait because he once had a split personality. Like, he had too much of everything. He's the kind of guy who would get off an orgy and then get up and read his Bible. And I'm like, wow, that's... Some range. That's hell. Yeah. That's, yeah. He, I mean, he grew up, his minister had a bootleg house, Macon, Georgia, um, but then he was, as a kid, he was, you know, insulted. People could tell he was effeminate. He's called a sissy, a punk, certain other gay slurs. And Billy Porter, he says of Little Richard, it's debilitating. It's soul crushing what they said to him. He then goes and starts performing in these like, I don't want to call them brothels, but like underground bars, clubs kind of thing. Ma Rainey, you know, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, that movie on Netflix, uh, Chadwick Boseman, Oscar nominated. At one point, she's singing a song, I Got Nipples on My Tits. Um, <laughs> and Little Richard now is singing and performing in drag. Princess Lavon is who he's performing as. Now, this is a time cross-dressing and homosexuality illegal. And yet there's Little Richard doing this thing. And at one point, again, if you say Little Richard, I know Tutti Frutti. And they Tutti have a Frutti. montage of... T- oh, yeah. All-time great song. And the montage of Tutti Frutti is sort of like the Big Bang. It's just explosive. It's ferocious. It's really well directed by Lisa. And the way they describe Tutti Frutti, they said it's aching teenage horniness Hmm. into a musical form that people could feel. Think about that. Aching teenage horniness into a musical form that people could feel. And that's what Lil Richard was tapping into. But again, what they really make fascinating about him is just this, this really, this dichotomy of this guy. The guy who was literally out there and was gay and proud and everyone knew it. If they're just being delusional if they didn't think he was. Somehow he's not getting beaten up for his beliefs. But at the same time, he's like deeply religious. He was very conflicted. Later in life, he renounced his homosexuality and said, I have been gay, but I'm not gay anymore. I'm a Christian. I'm devout. I'm not going to do this. And it was, he felt like he was a guy who really was in conflict his entire life. As a matter of fact, Owen Gleiberman, one of my favorite critics, in his Tutti Frutti review, he said, Tutti Frutti, as I'm everything documents, was first sung by Richard as a song about anal sex. The original lyrics, Tutti Frutti, good booty. If it don't fit, don't force it. Hello. You can grease it, make it easy. Jesus. The, yeah. <laughs> the lyrics were changed to something more presentable. <laughs> and you might say that whatever Tutti Frutti was about, its most important lyric was this. A wop, bop, a loop, bop, a wop, bam, bam, boom. boom. But to say that is to misunderstand the mystery of how art works, the joyful, insurrectionary, world-wrecking fervor of Tutti Frutti, which Cortez channels in a dazzling, psychedelic montage, was still about what it had been in Little Richard's imagination. You could say he was flaunting his own lust in a straight disguise. I'm never going to sing that song the same again. (laughs) Like, honestly, someone you know, your daughter, your wife, someone's going to start singing, Tutti Frutti, you can't sing that song. Like, why? What do you mean? (laughs) It's about anal. I'm like, what? He also popularized the expression, shut up, got big into full glitter glam in 1966 at like a mirror disco ball. There's a lot going on in Little Richard, but honestly, when I watch a documentary, I want to learn new things. And I learned a lot by watching this. I have a new appreciation for his musical art form and definitely appreciate where he was as far as being a part of black and queer culture. Little Richard, I'm everything. Three and a half Maple Leafs. Excellent documentary currently available in theaters and available on streaming. We'll talk Serpico in just a second, but I want to get to our special guest right now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It Ain't Over, fantastic new documentary all about Yogi Berra. It'll be in theaters everywhere May 12th, and a pleasure to bring in his granddaughter and executive producer, Lindsay Berra, who joins us right now. Lindsay, it's great to see you. Congratulations on doing a, a wonderful testimonial to your grandfather. Thanks so much. I'm so excited for everybody to finally be able to see this thing. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And what I really liked about it was the way it started, because there's a common theme with this and the fact that your grandfather was really underappreciated and underrated. And there's a moment where Major League Baseball is honoring, in their mind, the four greatest living ball players: Hank Aaron, Johnny Bench, Sandy Koufax, Willie Mays, all four incredible players. But your grandfather's not involved. And like you kind of turned to him like, you're not dead, right? He's like, no, I'm still here. And that seemed to be a recurring theme. Like Yogi was a guy who was always underestimated, underappreciated because he was in the shadow of DiMaggio or Mantle or later Johnny Bench as the greatest living catcher. Why do you think your grandfather didn't get as much love and adulation as he should have? I think he got love and adulation, but I think it kind of came from the the his personality, like as far back, someone just recently sent me on Twitter, a story that was written in sports illustrated in 1959. And in the third paragraph of that story, it says Barra's outsized personality has perhaps eclipsed his, his, his achievements on the baseball field in 1959. They were already talking about how his big personality was really becoming the focus. And, you know, he still had a bunch more world series left to win when in 1959. Right. And, he didn't start doing commercials and all the yogiisms really came much later. And it just kind of added and added and added to that personality, which is wonderful. And I love that people know the yogiisms, but I would love for them to remember him as arguably the greatest catcher of all time, because I believe he was. Yeah. It's um, the slogans definitely took away from his greatness in the game. Although there's a great montage. You got Clinton and Bush saying yogiisms. Like, I mean, yeah. it was really cool to see how, um, how much it just transpires throughout all the social media and just the world at large. Casas at one point says it's one of the greatest World Series resumes ever. Billy Crystal called him the most overlooked superstar in the history of baseball. Derek Jeter said he was larger than life. But I love the quote from Shakespeare. This above all, to thine own self be true. And it's really good in the documentary. You have a quote from a famous person and then a yogiism, which is a play on that. But yogi really was a guy who was true to himself, right? 100%. People always ask me what grandpa was like at home or as a grandpa. And I always say that what you saw on television, what you saw on the baseball field was exactly what we got at home. There was no, he he, he never acted uh, like he was someone else. There were no airs. There was no, you know, kind of facade that he gave to the public. What you guys saw was what we 100% got around the dinner table at our house. And he just was the same with everyone he interacted with. It didn't matter if he was talking to me, his granddaughter, or a waiter in a restaurant, or the UPS guy at the front door, or Gerald Ford. You know, everybody got the same, the same Yogi Berra all, all the time. 
10 World Series rings, and that 1950 season, Lindsay, speaks specifically to that for the baseball fans. He had so many home runs and so few strikeouts. That, to me, again, as a lifelong baseball fan, I didn't realize how good his 1950 season was in particular. I knew he was a three-time MVP. I knew in all those World Series, but that's a particularly great season he had. So in 1950, he did not win the MVP. He won his first MVP the following year. But I always tell people that I think that that was his his greatest year in baseball. And I might get the numbers a little bit wrong. So feel free if anyone wants to correct me, it's fine. But 656 plate appearances, 597 at bats. He hit 322, 28 home runs, 144 RBIs, and only struck out 12 times in the entire season. And as you guys well know, people strike out 12 times in a weekend now in Major League Baseball. And that is just an astonishing, astonishing uh, season. And, you know, Grandpa has a lot of really amazing stats that relate to strikeouts. One of my other favorites is that there are only two players in the history of Major League Baseball with more than 350 home runs and fewer than 500 strikeouts, and it's Grandpa and Joe DiMaggio. And a lot of people don't put Grandpa in the same breath as Joe DiMaggio when they talk about the Yankees' Mount Rushmore. It's always DiMaggio, Ruth, Gehrig, Mantle. Grandpa's always left off of of those lists but he really does have some stats that put him up in that same category with those fellas. Yeah, if you told me power hitter who doesn't strike out much, the first name I'd say is DiMaggio. I think his numbers are 369 home runs, 361 strikeouts. But to your point, your dad, your grandpa's right there with him and, and doesn't get the recognition there. Uh, let's get into some of these slogans. So there's no proof he actually originated. It ain't over till it's over. It it's something I believe that it started as it ain't over till it's mathematical. And then, and we go through the the kind of how, how it came to be. It ain't over till it's over in the movie, and I, I'm not sure. No one really knows. I don't even think he knew if he ever said it like that at the beginning because he always said I didn't say half the things I said, or I don't remember. They just come out. It wasn't like he was trying to come up with a yogiism. They just sort of fell out of his mouth due to that very interesting way in which he saw the world. But it did become a quote that he used a lot going forward after that. So he certainly said it a whole bunch of times. I'm just not sure if the first time it came out, it was in its, its final um, you know, form. <laughs> yeah, I, I love, um, I love nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded, which I think is makes total sense. And people laugh. At Absolute yeah. sense, especially for people who live in the New York area. Would you go to a restaurant if you knew you were going to have to wait three hours to eat? No, you're hungry. You go somewhere else, right? hundred <laughs> percent. And uh, if you go to a fork in the road, take it. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me as well. Is there a favorite yogiism that you had? My favorites are more the existential ones. If the world were perfect, it wouldn't be. The future ain't what it used to be. Um, I have a favorite one that seems not a lot of people have heard in, in the late 50s when Grandpa um, and Mickey Mantle became pitchmen for um, Yoohoo. Uh, there was a female reporter in the front row of the press conference, and Grandpa always remembered because there weren't a lot of female reporters. And she raised her hand and she said, excuse me, is that hyphenated? <laughs> Referring to Yoohoo. And Grandpa said, lady, it ain't even carbonated. <laughs> That's a great one. That's not even in the dock. That's fantastic. Good stuff, Lindsay. Um, the stuff with George Steinbrenner is amazing. You know, Steinbrenner fires him as a Yankees manager, and Yogi vowed to never return. I thought that was interesting. For a guy who is so lovable and, you know, looked like a big cuddly bear, and everyone says how funny looking he is, he was also a serious man, and he was seriously agreed by the fact, not that he got fired, but how he got fired, and the fact that Clyde King, the assistant GM, got the orders. George didn't even call him. It's a great through line, and I'm sure you remember the stories of your grandfather, how upset he was. Eventually, by the way, George did apologize. There's a really good good moment there with the Yogi Museum in Montclair. But that really seemed to affect him for a lot of his life. 
It really did. So that all went down when I was around six years old. I have memories of grandpa at Yankee Stadium when I'm five or six and he's managing and, you know, uh, Dave Winfield had the big flip up sunglasses. He was my favorite. Um, And then, you know, grandpa gets fired via message from Clyde King and he just didn't have any respect for the fact that George hadn't told him in person. He knows baseball is a business and that that's part of the deal. But George had promised him he was going to have a chance in 1985. He took that chance away and didn't have the guts to tell him himself. So Grandpa was just said, as long as George is around, I'm not going to go to the ballpark. And that's where my memories of Yankee Stadium end in in 1985. And I didn't go back until my whole family went in in the summer of 1999 for Yogi Berra Day after George had apologized. And it really honestly was a wonderful, wonderful addition to my grandpa's life to be able to go back to the stadium he and george buried the hatchet like that once once george said he was sorry grandpa said okay let's go and he was at the ballpark and you know the literally as soon as the season started he went back to spring training and i always say that i really believe it probably added about a decade to my grandfather's life for him to be able to be a part of the yankees again and interact with the players and teach you know, Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada, all that stuff that was in his brain. And I think that on the flip side, those guys got a tremendous amount for being able to interact with my grandfather as well. And it was also just wonderful for the fans to be able to see him back at Yankee Stadium. Thousand percent. Sure. There's a great anecdote from Jeter when he says he was kind of busting Yogi's chops. Like, you know, your 10 World Series rings, there wasn't many teams back then. So he's like, you know, that's like <laughs> half of that. Like that should be like five. And then your grandpa said, hey, anytime you want to come over the house, you can count them and see how many I got. Really seemed to have a nice relationship with Jeter. They, they, they did. They were they were really good friends. And, you know, grandpa used to call him kid and used to bust his chops for swinging at high pitches. And, uh, you know, Jeter would say, well, you swung at him. And grandpa would say, yeah, I hit him. You don't. Um, yeah, they, they had a really nice, nice relationship. And, and with, with all of those guys, he was close with Paul O'Neill. Like I said, Posada, he used to work with Posada on all the, the catching stuff. Nick Swisher. Um, you know, just a lot of those guys that came later in the 90s and the 2000s, for sure. If someone doesn't know anything about baseball, maybe doesn't know the yogiisms, they do know Yogi Bear, which was the cartoon. And Billy Crystal says that your grandfather really wasn't a fan of it. As he one time said, I'm not a cartoon. What did you ever hear him say about Yogi Bear, the cartoon? We didn't talk about it a ton. And, you know, my dad actually loved the cartoon <laughs> itself. But we, you know, we knew that it Hanna Barbera had modeled Yogi bear after my grandfather and uh grandpa's attorney at the time had tried to get them to stop doing this but at, at the time nicknames weren't trademarked and yogi was his nickname it wasn't his real name so they didn't have a legal leg to stand on and i think you know grandpa just i don't think he loved being portrayed as this kind of like bumbling fool of a bear because he wasn't he was actually incredibly incredibly intelligent anybody who played baseball or any pitchers he worked with or saw how he interacted with with his teams as a manager would know he really was actually tremendously intelligent and i don't know that he loved um the proliferation of this you know kind of myth that he wasn't very smart but um i mean it was a cute cartoon (laughs) And by the way, Joe Caragiola probably to blame a lot for just the, the appearance of your dad. He helped him probably hurt in some ways. He, he probably came up with a bunch of those yogiisms. And again, childhood friends, grew up on the hill St. Louis. But like, Caragiola was also enhancing the way that your father was being perceived by others, right? 
He was, and, and Joe obviously had the platform to do so because he was on television a lot and he would tell a lot of grandpa stories. And Joe would say he didn't make them up, like he embellished them a little bit, but he just was out telling stories about his buddy. It wasn't something that he had ever done on, on purpose. And grandpa and Joe uh, grew up across the street from each other on the hill in St. Louis, as you mentioned, on Elizabeth Avenue. And they were only five months apart. They literally were friends for 90 years. I don't know if a lot of us can say they had a friend for 90 years who also made the baseball hall of fame. I mean, that is incredible. Two guys who live across the street from each other are that good at the same thing. Right. Um, so that, there was a really nice relationship that they had and we were pr pretty thrilled to be able to get Audrey Graziola, Joe's uh, wife into the documentary before she passed away. And Joe Graziola Jr. is in the, in the movie. Um, so they provide some really nice moments. A couple more for you. One thing that is not in the documentary, but I've read a, a book about your grandfather. So I was aware of the stuff he did with the Mets, you know, 82 and 79, whatever the record, 83 and 79 was the record. But like, that's a really kind of underappreciated aspect of your grandpa. Again, as a manager, the success he had with the Mets and that big, you know, hullabaloo at the time, a Yankee going to manage the Mets. And of course, Casey Stengel hired him and stuff. So I don't know if he ever told you stories about that or what you think of the Mets era of his life. So he was incredibly proud of his time with the Mets. We have a section devoted to the Mets at the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center. And when we get to that on my tours, people are always like, oh, Peshaw, the Mets, whatever. And I always say, no, 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 wait a minute. And there's a story that I always tell. We were at a bat dinner, a baseball assistance team charity dinner in the city uh, when I was like 15 years old. And they went around the room and introduced all the celebrities at each table. They say three-time MVP, 10-time World Series champion, 18-time All-Star. Yogi Berra, he stands up, he gives his little wave, he sits down. He backhands me across the chest, which is how he got your attention, because that's what grandpas do, right? And he goes, Linz, how come nobody ever mentions that I managed the 1974 All-Star Game? And I said, because no one cares. <laughs> and, but the point was, he had brought the Mets to the World Series in 1973. There's only two managers in history who have brought a team from each league to the, to the World Series. Grandpa was the second one. And he wanted people to remember what he had accomplished with the Mets and it was bringing them to the World Series in 73 that gave him the right to manage the 74 All-Star Game. So it was very important to him that people remember this. Um, he has gr had great relationships with a lot of those players on the Mets, Buddy, Buddy Harrelson and Ron Soboda and... Um, Art Shamsky. Shamsky, tremendously. Shamsky's in the um, documentary and tells some really great stories, but those were lifelong relationships as well. And, and that, that time of his life was tremendously important to him and impactful, I think, for Mets fans as well. A hundred percent. Last one for you. I live in New Jersey, but I'm a transplant. So, you know, I didn't grow up here and I've always wanted to go to Montclair to actually see the Yogi Berra Museum. And of course, your, your grandfather lived there for a long time. What is still there in Montclair that I can go see? Because I, I feel like, I don't know if things change over time, but there's still a lot of stuff they're dedicated to your grandfather. If I, if I take a 30 minute drive to Montclair today. Absolutely. You have to call me and you have to let me show you around. So the at Grandpa's Museum, um, the Yogi Bear Museum and Learning Center, the Learning Center part of it is tremendously important to him. We do a lot of wonderful uh, educational programs, both virtual and in person for kids. But you can come and see all 27 Yankee World Series rings, his three MVP plaques. There's a lot of game used bats and gloves and all that kind of cool stuff that you can come and check out. We have great movies and whatever. But then also you mentioned one of your favorite yogiisms is when you come to a fork in the road, take it. The town of Montclair actually has a plaque at the actual fork in the road which was on the way up to my grandfather's house 
so you can drive up the road and take the fork yourself. He was giving Phil Rizzuto directions to the house, and he said, when you come to the fork, take it, because both sides of the fork led to his road. So you can visit the museum, and you can visit uh, the actual fork in the road. And, I mean, if you really want to walk in Grandpa's footsteps, you can drive up to Henry's Luncheonette and buy a newspaper. I'm definitely going to do this. Uh, Lindsay Barris, she's phenomenal. Obviously doing a great job just paying tribute to her grandfather, who really was an American hero, an American legend as a baseball player, and as just a, a famous person that really was loved and beloved by so many people. It Ain't Over is the movie, May 12th in theaters. I know it's going to do huge here in Jersey. I hope everyone goes and sees it. Lindsay, can't thank you enough. This was awesome. Thanks so much for having me. All right, thanks once again to Lindsay Barrow. She was awesome on MLB Network. I still got to go see the Yogi Museum. And again, really appreciate her time. I want everyone to go check out the doc. It's really well done. Speaking of documentaries, a couple more blurbs I want to add. A little Richard I am everything. Peter Howell of the Toronto Star, hometown paper. Lisa Cortez delivers the definitive documentary on a complicated icon. And Richard Whitaker of Austin Chronicle, the further into his life the documentary goes, the less insightful it becomes. Eesh. All right, let's talk Serpico. 50th anniversary. As I was giving out those pizza slices again, nobody said Serpico. A lot of people said Godfather. Scarface, one smart ass to Jack and Jill. My boy Ian went with The Insider, which is a terrific movie. Him, God, man, him and Russell Crowe are awesome together. I did, by the way, how the Russell Crowe interview go with Dan? I didn't listen to it yet. Was did you guys post that interview? Yeah, he was fun. He had a good energy because he, he we had a little like beforehand of like he can be surly sometimes, so it's like yeah. you don't know which Russell Crowe you're gonna get. He made fun of Dan for asking a couple long-winded questions. Nice, I like it. I have to do have to listen to that. If I ever talk to Russell Crowe, we talk about The Insider, which is a film I love that he did with Al Pacino. Anyways. Pacino's made so many great films across the years. We've talked about Dog Day Afternoon together. I think Chris watched that one. Yeah. Um, that's one of his favorites. Again, people ask me, Mount Rushmore is very, very difficult. But if you want me to do it really quickly, I would say Godfather, Godfather 2. I'd say Dog Day Afternoon. I'd say Scarface. And I'd say Serpico. That's probably a, a pretty easy and pretty conventional top five. But honestly, that run that Pacino had in the 70s, it's, it's really unbeatable. 72 is a Godfather. Puts him on the map. He's working with Brando and all these incredible stars, Duvall. 73 is Serpico. 74 is Godfather 2. And 75 is Dog Day Afternoon. Again, I've talked about dog afternoon before let me talk to you about serpico in case you don't know what it is an honest new york cop named frank serpico blows the whistle on rampant corruption in the force only to have his comrades turn against him this is like one of the all-time great character studies and it features an all-time great performance by al pacino i was one of my kids schools the other day and i was laughing in one of the guidance counselor's office that said the difference between tattling and telling the truth and she said, you don't understand how important that is because kids come in and go, I don't want to tattle. I'm like, no, no, but it's important to tell the truth when someone's in trouble, when someone's in danger, when someone's not doing the right thing, when someone's misbehaving. And like you think as a kid, no one likes to tattle, right? It's like Goodfellas. You know, never ride on your friends, always keep your mouth shut. And Serpico is, you know, by that logic, a tattletale. He's a guy who sees corruption in the New York police force and he can't take it. He wants to tell the truth. And I think it's such a, a fascinating performance by Pacino because he shows how this guy isn't the most likable guy in the world. Like, he goes into the New York police with honest ideals, honest aspirations, and then quickly finds out cops are taking money. So they're divvying up the bribes, and he says, no, I'm good. They're like, wait, what, what do you mean? He's like, no, I, I don't take money. And right away, you're ostracizing yourself from the cops. What do you mean you don't take money? Everyone takes money here, Frank. He's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm good. And you see the conflict he feels in talking to his girlfriend. At one point, he says a great scene. He says, I feel like a criminal because I don't take money. Like, I, I went to the police force to be a cop, to be a good guy, and I, I'm the outcast. I'm the guy that doesn't. And they look at me funny. And it goes from just a benign sense of, now they're not going to trust you. Now no one likes you. You're ostracizing yourself from the police force. To then eventually, you're going to be in some danger. Because as the cops start to tell them as the movie develops, hey, hey, if you're on our side, you're on their side. And at some point, there's going to be questions about what you're doing. And when Pacino starts to 
go to internal affairs, he recognizes he's putting his own life in danger. It's one thing to say, I'm not taking the money. I'm going to be an honest cop. But he realizes that's not enough. You've got to, you've got to clean up the system. You've got to go do, take some action with it. I think there's different levels of goodness apparent in all, but Serpico really understood the risk he was taking and that he wanted to clean up the police force because he saw the level of corruption, how rampant it was, how was it all different levels. And what the movie's so great about demonstrating is that it's not like you just go to one person, they take care of it. You go to one bureaucrat and they go, there's nothing we can do about it, okay? There's always gonna be dirty cops, life goes on, go go to internal affairs. He's like, well, how, how can nobody care? How can nobody care about doing the truth, doing the right thing? And he is a terrific police officer on top of that. It's not like he's a lousy cop who's just ratting on the bad cops. He actually is a terrific detective. And Pacino's performance is so immersive. And you see him from the start, he's, he's unrecognizable by the end of the movie. He starts out fresh faced, clean shaven, the way he looks like in The Godfather. Then he grows a mustache at one point they're giving him grief with the mustache, got the big beard, the hat, and he's laughing because I'm an undercover cop. I got to look like this. This is how you smoke weed. This is how you're going to act with certain people. At one point, has a little pet mouse. And this guy's like, what the hell is that? He's like, it's my partner. Yeah. He goes in there, smells of drugs. It's my partner. <laughs> like, this is, like, Serpico is not a fun hang. Okay, like he's not the kind of guy I would want to hang out with. Like he's a weird, eccentric, idiosyncratic guy who's moody and sullen, but he's also heroic. And that's what Pacino is able to demonstrate with this guy is that, you know, as they say, all, not all heroes wear capes. And Frank Serpico is a hero for what he's doing, questioning the system. It's based on a real book. Uh, Serpico is a real life New York City cop. The writers are Peter Moss, Waldo Salt, Norman Wexler. And the real hero here also is Sidney Lumet, all time great director. The way he demonstrates New York City in the early 70s, the grime, the corruption. You can feel that Lumet is a part of New York City. He's got it in his bones, he's got it in his eyes, and he really renders it in a very visceral, passionate way. It still holds up today. Not a long movie, two hour film. Again, character study. Really shows the level of corruption, but it, it really made Pacino a movie star. I think Saturday Night Fever with Travolta, on one of his movie posters, there's a picture of Serpico. Like, you, you always think of him with The Godfather, but that was a supporting role, which he was brilliant. But when Serpico came out, I was like, bam, like this guy Al Pacino is going to be somebody. And it's, uh, it's amazing. How about this review from Paul D. Zimmerman? This kind of goes to exactly what I'm talking about. Al Pacino is destined to become the next big American film star. The proof lies in his ability to transform so mediocre a cop movie as Serpico, don't agree with that part, into a glittering show case for his growing talents. Uh, Kim Newman, Al Pacino delivers a powerful performance in this compelling biopic of a cop and a city's police force. It's also Cody's shorthand sometimes. You know, I grew a huge beard during COVID. I just, you know, I wasn't on air, so like for four months I didn't shave. And at one point, I think uh, my boy Max Bredos tweeted, I tweeted a picture, he said, I'm like, oh, Virgo with the Serpico look. And then Anish Shroff, who I love, who's a very smart guy, had no idea what we were talking about. And I said, I may not speak to you. <laughs> if I had said to you prior to working with me, if I just said, if I had a big beard on South Beach, you go, who's this guy think he is, Serpico? Would you have known what I was talking about? No, I knew, I've, I've heard of the movie. Like right. I knew it was an Al Pacino movie, but I didn't know he had a beard in it and stuff. Like the be I wouldn't have associated the beard with it. And by if you the way, mention it to your dad, do you think he'll confuse it with a Marlon Brando movie? Oh no, I asked my dad this morning because this is yeah. we're recording this Tuesday. He's in Levitt. Like he's seen Serpico because like those are the movies I can go to my dad on and be like, yeah. you've seen. He didn't have much other than Pacino cop movie, but he he was aware uh. of it and he has seen it. So. I, I, I was going to get excited if you're like, no, he wanted to come on, but he was busy. He wasn't to that no, level. He was like, yeah, no, 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 no. He, he, like, yeah. It was, it was one of those things where he couldn't tell you anything other than what he told me. But <laughs> he at least did. He's like, yes, I have seen it, and I remember it. I do like that he had frame of reference and, on it. There's a, and ahead. by the way, I feel bad because I, don't, I didn't see this movie. I, we were going to do Kingpin 
and you yes. kind of pulled a last minute switch. I I started Kingpin, so I had some notes. Wait, I thought you'd definitely seen Kingpin, so I saw I had an easy seen one it. for Cody. I had yeah. seen Kingpin, but I wanted to rewatch it to like have notes on it and stuff. So maybe we'll Kingpin do that next week. Yeah, Done. we'll do that next week. I, I, I love Kingpin. I, I love it. It's a the, great yeah, one. I think it's a hysteria. I think it's a little underrated because people think the Fairley Brothers. You always think of there's something about Mary. I think if you think of Woody Harrelson, you think of Cheers and I don't know, Natural Born Killers. My Kingpin. And Bill Murray? Like, oh, I was just going to say. He's I in it maybe 20 minutes. I think he's incredible in the movie. I love, I have like quotes written down. Like I just, oh. he has so many funny lines. Big earn. So good. Uh, a couple more here Hi. on Serpico. Not you. The, the, Not you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I remember, uh, God, who was the, there's a college football coach. The one time Scott Van Pelt said he's got the bigger and hairdo going, and I lost it. Like, I, don't know, I don't know how people are getting that reference, but it was hysterical. Yeah. I think it was uh, Virginia Tech. West Virginia coach. Can't remember his name now. I see his face. Anyways. It's Dana Holgerson? Yeah, I think it's Dana Holgerson. Yes. <laughs> because he's got the bigger and haircut. Well yeah, done. Does. It was Holgerson. Yeah, yeah. A couple more stories from Pacino. Lamette is some great extras. He says, you know, Pacino, method actor. He always had to stay in character for whatever the role was. So if the, if, the, if the scene was fun and light, he would be fun and light the whole time. He'd be cracking jokes with me. He'd crack jokes with the AD. He'd be making the crew laugh. If the character was depressed that day, Al would stay depressed the entire day. And he says <laughs> it's a really tough way to work, but he insisted upon it for himself. And he said he's very hard on himself. He'd always watch the rushes and say, no, let's do it again. I can do it better. I can do it better. He goes, he's, he's relentless. He said his, his focus and his concentration I thought was remarkable. And he goes, he was, he was just so immersive. He goes, that's really the word for it. And Serpico himself was so helpful. And he said Al loved it because some directors don't like it if you meet the actor who you're playing. And Al asked me and I said, go for it. And Pacino hung out with Serpico as much as he could. He goes, they would go to ball games together. They would hang out. They'd have lunch. They'd have dinner. And Pacino was just picking his brain. And Serpico loved it. He was like, oh my God, I'm talking to Al Pacino. Like, I'll tell you everything about my life. And, and he goes, Al definitely used stuff that he told him in the movie, in the performance. He said, but here's the cruelty of filmmaking. He said, you know, once the movie's over, me and Al moved on with our lives. And Serpico, I think, was hurt by it because he thought, hey, we're like genuine friends here. Yeah. And it's not that we're not, but we're doing research for a movie. Once the movie's over, we move on. That doesn't mean that Al doesn't like Serpico, but he's not going to hang out with him on a Friday night. He's, he's on to the next project. So he said it was it was an awkward thing after Serpico. I was like, hey, we're still going to hang out. Like, no, hey, we're friends, over. man. Like, no, no, we're not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, we moved on. Also, just a little note on the score. The score is really well done. It's, it's such a, a mournful, sad score. Every time I hear it, I just get so, um, you know, emotional thinking about the, the trials and tribulations that Serpico went through. And Lumet said he doesn't like scores, does not like music in his movies. Uh, the producer, Dino De Laurentiis, insisted upon it. So he said, what happened is a guy gets released from prison, Theo Dorakis, uh, composer, and he's like, I can do it. He listens to the movie, and he goes, the score he did was really good, and we only put a little bit of it in there. So he says, the producer was really happy. We got this guy, Theo Dorakis, to do the score. He was happy. He's out of prison. He's back on the map. And I was happy. It was only like maybe 12 to 14 minutes of score in a two-hour and nine-minute movie. He says, sometimes I don't like the score because the musical cues tell you how to feel. And he goes, like, I'd rather just focus on Pacino and the actors there. I don't need the music to tell you how to feel. I think directors line it too much. It's too much of a crutch sometimes. But uh, the, the scene, particularly in the hospital, that is so good at the end when he gets the, the gold medal. You know, Pacino's been shot in the face. He's in the hospital. He looks at it. He's got the, the gold badge. And he goes, what's this for? <laughs> for being an honest cop or for being stupid enough to take one in the face? You can shove it. And he's got the tears in his eyes. And it's a, it, his mouth, his jaw is wired shut. It's just it's great scene there from Pacino. If you haven't seen Serpico, check it out. Greg Cody. I wouldn't say he likes it, but he definitely knows of it. That's Serpico. And that is our old movie for this week. Once again, thank you to, uh, to Lindsay Barra for her time. It Ain't Over uh, is going to be available 
like I said, in theaters May 12th and streaming everywhere. Next week, we're talking Kingpin and Guardians of the Galaxy. And hopefully our guest, Sonny Vaccaro. Matt Damon played him in Air. Air is soon going to be on Amazon. Hopefully, we're going to talk to Sonny. Speaking of real-life inspirations for actors, hopefully he will be with us. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. And once again, what tastes better? Boston Tears, New York Tears. As my friend John Chick just tweeted back to the Levitard Show, Boston, it's not even close. Oh,